0: with Thai movies starting to join Thai cuisine in terms of visibility. Thailand, of course, remains one of Taiwan's favorite getaways, but Thai people are coming here too in larger numbers, thanks to a visa exemption program. So while the community of Thai people in Taiwan is smaller than it was before, links between the two sides are continuing to strengthen and grow. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight.
3: Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Jun Wakabayashi is an analyst at AppWorks. Uh, That's one word. His father is Japanese and his mom is Taiwanese, but he was born in the U.S. In college, he majored in finance and AppWorks is actually both a venture capital firm and a startup accelerator founded and based in Taiwan. His job requires him to fly around a lot. Anyway, his work really entails more than what an analyst does. So today he will expand on what else he does at AppWorks.
0: We do have the traditional analyst uh, type of jobs and responsibilities that doing market research and due diligence and also understanding whether or not a deal is going to be feasible or not. So there is that component in my job as well. But oh. yes, I agree the the analyst term is uh, very broad.
3: Yeah, it's too broad. How old is the oldest person at at Work's?
0: Um, it, it, I got a it, it, feeling it's not you're all very young. No, actually, it's, uh, it, it, it's a huge range, right? So the specialists are typically a little bit older because... Uh, effectively, what we we call them masters, so uh, they're (laughs) a master in their field, right? So usually they come from uh, a much more uh, extended background when it comes to professional experiences, so they're uh, a little bit on the older side.
3: Are they the founders of AppWorks?
0: Uh, So the main founder is uh, a guy named Jamie Lin. Mm -hmm. Um, He, I think is what, maybe 41, 42 years old now, but he's also uh, the CEO of Taiwan Mobile, Taiwan Dagada, uh, the second largest telecom company in Taiwan at the moment. Uh, So he runs concurrently both as the CEO of Taiwan Mobile as well as general partner of AppWorks, general partner and chairman. Right, so you mentioned uh, things outside of work. Uh, Well, number one, traveling is a huge part of my life. Um, But
3: that has to do with work.
0: No, not really, actually. Oh. So I do a lot of uh, leisure travel as well. I mean, anytime I mix uh, work travel or have work travel, I usually try to mix in leisure travel as well. So I mentioned to you before that I've now lived and worked in seven different countries outside of the U.S. and Taiwan. That was primarily due to my last job. Uh, but when I was living in those countries, I, anytime I had free time, I took the opportunity to travel. So now I've been to upwards of about 50 countries, I would say.
3: Talk about some of the countries that made an impression on you and why.
0: I think Turkey has a very, very special place. In my heart, is one of the very first countries that I got sent to in my last job. Uh, we were based out of Istanbul for about three months. Oh. And it was just the, the perfect mix between being lost in translation, but also with the hint of familiarity. So if you look at the geographical location of Turkey, it's uh, at the crossroads of both Europe and Asia. So you see hints of both regions incorporate into the country, and every facet of their life has it. That and uh, Istanbul in and of itself is just a magnificent city. Um, It has a lot of historical significance as well, just because in the middle you have a, a, a river, and it's basically perched on three different mountaintops. So from a military standpoint, it was very, very strategic. Back in the day, it was called Constantinople. But consequently, every single restaurant building has a rooftop on it. So you get a fantastic view of mm. uh, the entire, entire city. And mm. just the people were incredibly nice and warm. And the country in of, of itself was very, very beautiful. So well. I'm a huge nature lover.
3: Mm. it's a popular destination lately you know Taiwan's been promoting it Turkey you know Istanbul yeah, those kind of places yeah I actually For had sure. some family
0: and friends that just got back from there yeah Yeah.
3: alright well you know we broadcast in what 10 foreign languages from the radio station <laughs> you've been to all those 10 places It, it, it I would guess Vietnam Thailand Philippines. Yep. Oh, yep. Sorry, we don't have Philippines. What am I talking about? Indonesia.
0: Indonesia, yes. You have.
3: Yep. Yep. Japan, you yep. have been. And uh, Russia? Russia? In
0: Russia. I've only gone through a layover, unfortunately. So I'd love to go to oh. there to explore. I was going to uh, ask how, what you
3: think about Russia. Okay. <laughs> well, what about um Spain? I mean, got...
0: Spain. Actually, my last company was based in Spain. So uh, I did pass through there quite often. I was uh, based out of Madrid, actually. So uh, I did pass through the city very often. I've also been to Barcelona, Salamanca, uh, and Segovia and Sevilla. All
3: right. Okay. What about um France?
0: France, I've been to as well. Yep. Right. Sure. Germany. Yep.
3: Oh wow! Look at yeah, you.
0: Checked off the list. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so
3: um, what do you think about Taiwan?
0: In every aspect, I think it has everything going for it, but no one knows about it. It's it's very still. Sad yeah you know especially you know from a work standpoint when we go out and try to educate founders on what's going on in taiwan a lot of them are actually very pleasantly surprised right it's a developed country uh, Mm -hmm. with a sound rule of law Uh, From a work standpoint, it's a huge market. Um, Consumers have been shopping online for the better half of two decades now, right, with the advent of PC home in the late 1990s. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a sizable population as well, uh, uh, at 23.5 million people, which is the same size as Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, From a GDP standpoint, it's a little bit over 600 billion dollars. Uh, I
3: remember that twenty three point five million is the same size as Australia, yeah population right? wow it's crazy, <laughs> but you know we're so much smaller in size, yeah, okay
0: correct. geographically exactly uh infrastructure is there, people are incredibly nice here. Uh, I was just telling you, telling you before um that I had just got back from China, and once you go to China, you kind of realize that wow, it really makes you appreciate everything you have here in Taiwan, whether it's the civility, whether it's the weather, whether it's the air, the infrastructure, uh, access to Google and Facebook, these things that we take for granted. Uh, everything's here, and there's a reason why uh, Taiwan was rated as one of the top destinations in the world for expats as well. Mm, yeah,
3: you're right. right. Yep. Yeah, that, by information survey. Recent survey, right, right.
0: right. Oh, so on that note, uh, uh, so yeah. I, I think it's a little bit sad. So that's why we characterize uh, Taiwan as uh, the Wakanda of Asia. I don't know if you've seen Black Panther before, but Wakanda <laughs> is like this, you know, yes, this secret, yeah. high, super high tech <laughs> nation uh, that's hidden away from the world, but with so much technology and so much to share to the world world, right? Mm. And so it's sort of, like I said, my job both professionally and personally to make people know that, hey, Taiwan's a fantastic place uh, to be, to work, live, and, and grow yourself. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin.
3: What's it like working with Taiwanese people?
0: I think Taiwanese people are one of the hardest workers in the world and they're they're very very conscientious people with a very very high degree of work ethic so that in and of itself is I think is uh, really really uh, important um, in terms of uh, having them on your team, it's fantastic. Sometimes uh, Taiwanese people can be a little bit rigid I guess in the way that they approach work, uh, but I think that's more of a function of the education system that they grew up in, which focused oh, much more on rote memorization, yes, external validation. So, uh, you know, we talked about it before. Being able to question and being able to ask why is one of the most important things that you can do. Honestly, if I were to have a billboard on the side of the road, I would the one thing I write on it is ask more questions. It's it's, it's the one thing. (laughs) Interesting. Because by asking questions and adopting more childlike curiosity, you learn so much more about yourself, you learn more about others and and the world around you. And Mm. I don't think people do that enough here in Taiwan.
3: Yeah. But I think that's changing, right? Because, you know, I mean, I do come across some new stories where, Certain schools are, you know, experimenting with um, just not having teachers lecture so much, but Mm -hmm. having kids, you know, use their brains and try to be creative and or using different ways to to even conduct a class or something Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's changing. I've been back, you know, almost 29 years. Yeah, but, you know, just slowly, but it is changing, which I'm glad to see. And also, people like you coming back from having been educated abroad and willing to come back to Taiwan, contribute to Taiwan.
0: I agree. Um, International experiences, at least from my standpoint, has been incredibly uh, transformative for me. It's It's a very humbling experience when you... Live abroad, especially in more uh, developing type of markets where you don't have all the luxuries that were typically afforded to you in places like uh, the u s where everything is already established for you right u s is one of the most developed countries on on the planet right now, and you know at the click of a button you can get a ride home from your work um, on your way home from work, you can look at the news, look like in a movie, and right when you arrive home, you can have uh, delivery already at your doorsteps. Oh, I you know? know. Yes. In uh, emerging type of countries, they don't have any of that. Oh, but the great thing yeah. is that technology is now having um, some pretty material effects on how people go about living their daily lives. Mm-hmm. Um, So if I give Southeast Asia, for example, about 10 years ago, that's when Grab, which is basically the Uber version uh, in Southeast Asia, that's when they first started uh, in Southeast Asia. And now everyone uses Grab in
4: Mm -hmm. Southeast Asia,
0: right? Uh, But for Taiwanese, uh, it's the same same concept, right? Going to live abroad and it helps you really expand your mental model, uh, your understanding of how people different from you live their lives, right? It really expands your perspective and way of thinking, which is incredibly valuable. But touching upon uh, what you just mentioned before, uh, two points of clarification. Number one, I, I guess I'm actually a little bit different than uh, most of the returnees that you might come across, mainly because <laughs> I actually did not, um, I, I did not live in Taiwan ever. Uh, so I was all simply right, born true. and raised in the US, but yeah. I did visit Taiwan every now and then. So I'm not sure if you can really classify me as a returnee, <laughs> but let's for all intents and purposes. Yes. Let's say yes, I'm a returnee. Yes. You know, my mom, my mom lives here now. I entire know. extended side of the family also lives here. Right. right? Uh, but the other thing is that the trend that you mentioned before it's very interesting um, people uh, my parents um, uh, and a, a lot of people in their generation they they sacrifice tooth and nail to immigrate to uh, more developed countries like the us to give their children a better future mm-hmm. and the interesting thing thing is now you're starting to see uh, this trend of reverse migration where a lot of the children are now foregoing their cushy, Uh, stable corporate jobs in the U.S. and actually coming back to Asia to Uh find a job and uh, to develop their careers here, which is uh, kind of mind-blowing for a lot of these parents. Like, come on, we we gave up so much for you to have a better future, and now you're going back to the countries that we left, right? That's
3: how it was with my dad. Yes.
0: Right. Exactly. But uh, I would urge these parents to change your perspective a little bit. If you, my generation, especially the millennial generation, were fueled by passion and purpose and meaning, uh, in more emerging regions like Asia, there's actually so much more of an opportunity to make impact. Right.
3: So is that why why these people are coming back? Is because they see that Asia is an opportunity. It's emerging, and and it's just full of you know opportunities, and, and I don't know. Uh, startups and ventures and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean… that's what it is, huh?
0: I I would say that that has a big part in it, but other than that, there's also just ethnic belonging, this uh, sense of national pride, being able to bring back what they uh, were able to accumulate in terms of experiences, in terms of tactics and playbooks and network in the U.S. or Western countries, and bring it back into uh, their home countries and diffuse it to people around them. So um, it's actually one of the biggest trends in Southeast Asia right now. we call sea turtles returning home. Uh-huh. right. These are people in Chinese highway Yes. These are typically locals who studied abroad, really went to or worked for or went to a Western university or worked for Western companies, really picked up a lot of experience there, and then came back to help diffuse that experience around them. Yeah. So if you look at um, some of the most valuable companies and startups in this region in Southeast Asia there's around eleven to twelve unicorns, those are companies that are valued over a billion dollars. 90% of them were started by sea turtles.
3: Uh huh.
0: Actually, right? Yeah. Uh, China went through a very similar phenomenon uh, in the early days when the economy was still expanding. And now you're starting to see a very similar trend happen in both Southeast Asia as well as Taiwan. I see that happening too, still.
3: What does your future bring? What are you thinking? <laughs> and what are you, you're, you're still young, you've still got a lot ahead of you. Yeah. What's your big, bigger picture other than just an analyst? No, I don't mean that. <laughs> yeah. No, other than analyst at AppWorks.
0: You know, I I think I'm I'm very fortunate to be working for a company that allows me to experiment and uh, understand what's around me and quote-unquote find myself, if if you will. Uh, Essentially, it's a playground. Uh, My company is great. Um, I'm very fortunate to have that sort of support. The longer I stay at AppWorks, the the more I come into tune with, you know, what my superpower is and sort of what my place in the world is. When I try to think about what's in it for me in the future, I typically tend to think of this one framework. Just imagine like three intersecting circles, right? One circle is uh, the market, one circle is the passion, and one circle is skill set. Uh-huh. So you want to try to find the intersection of these three circles. And that is sort of the role that you should be taking moving forward. If you find the intersection of all three things, that's that's your ideal. That's your bread and butter right there. Wow, right? very nice. So right now, for sure, my job currently aligns in all three circles. Uh-huh. Uh, but for passion, I think I could probably dig a little bit deeper. And that comes back down to what my quote-unquote superpower is. Uh, this is the thing that I do 10x better than anyone else does just naturally. And uh, that would be... Empathy, actually, my ability to connect uh, and relate to others, and "quote unquote" surrogate, put myself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exactly what has allowed me to excel in my job of. Building relationships with people around Southeast Asia. It's exactly what allowed me to excel my previous job when I interviewed over 300 executives and CEOs and heads of state. Right. Because uh, I can put myself in their shoes and really understand what they're going through. And it's what really gets me going to understand their stories. Very similar to what you do here yes. at RTI, right? Just uh, learning about people's stories and their experiences.
3: Thank you so much, June. It's been really a lot of fun talking to you. And good luck with everything you're pursuing.
0: Thank you so much, Shirley.
2: Classic Shorts, Stories from Chinese History and Literature
5: Welcome to Classic Shorts, I am Natalie Sow. Today we hear two series of famous poems from the great Tang Dynasty poet Li Bai. The first describes his longing for his days in Chang'an, where he was welcomed and honored by the Emperor Shenzong and the aristocrats of the time. The second series describes the hard ways of the world. Here's Li Bai's Endless Yearning. I am endlessly yearning to be in Chang'an. Insects hum of autumn by the gold brim of the well. A thin frost glistens like little mirrors my cold mat the high lantern flickers and deeper grows my longing i lift the shade and with many a sigh gaze upon the moon single as a flower centered from the clouds above i see the blueness and deepness of sky below i see the greenness and the restlessness of water Heaven is high, earth wide. Bitter between them flies my sorrow. Can I dream through the gateway, over the mountain? Endless longing breaks my heart. This is Levi's poem, Endless Yearning Too. The sun has set. And a mist is in the flowers, and the moon grows very white, and people sad and sleepless. A dao harp has just been laid mute on its phoenix holder, and a shu lute begins to sound its mandarin duck strings. Since nobody can bear to you the burden of my song, with that it might follow the spring wind to Yanran Mountain. I think of you far away, beyond the blue sky, and my eyes that once were sparkling are now a well of tears. Oh, if ever you should doubt this aching of my heart, here in my bright mirror come back and look at me. This one is called The Hard Road, Pure Wine Costs. For the golden cup, ten thousand coppers a flagon. And the jade plate of dainty food calls for a million coins. I fling aside my food sticks and cup. I cannot eat nor drink. I pull out my dagger. I peer for ways in vain. I would cross the yellow river, but ice chokes the ferry. I would climb the Tahang Mountains, but the sky is blind with snow. I would sit and poise a fishing pole, lazy by a brook. But I suddenly dream of riding a boat, sailing for the sun. Journeying is hard, journeying is hard. There are many turnings, which am I to follow? I will mount a long wind some day and break the heavy waves and set my cloudy sail straight and bridge the deep, deep sea. Li Bai writes, Hard is the way of the world. The way is broad like the blue sky, but no way out before my eye. I am ashamed to follow those who have no guts, gambling on fighting cocks and dogs for pears and nuts. Fong would go homeward way, having no fish to eat. Doe did not think to bow to noblemen was meat. General Han was mocked in the marketplace. The brilliant scholar Jia was banished in disgrace. Have you not heard of King of Yan, in days gone by, who venerated talents and built terraces high, on which he offered gold to gifted men and stooped low and swept the floor to welcome them? Grateful Jun Qing and Yue Yi came then and served him heart and soul, both full of stratagem. The king's bones were now buried, who would sweep the floor of the Gold Terrace anymore. Hard is the way. Go back without delay. And here is one more poem in the series Hard is the Way of the World, part three. Don't wash your ears on hearing something you dislike, nor die of hunger like famous hermits on the pike. Living without a fame among the motley crowd, why should one be as lofty as the moon or cloud? Of ancient talents who failed to retire, there's none, but came to tragic ending after glories won. In the river was drowned the poet laureate. The highly talented scholar wished in vain to preserve his life to hear the cry of the crane. Minister Li regretted not to have hired, to hunt with Falcon Gray as he had long desired. Have you not heard of Zhang Han who resigned, carefree, to go home to eat his perch with high glee? Enjoy a cup of wine while you're alive. Do not care if your fame will not survive. Those are timeless sentiments from the great Tang Dynasty poet, Li Bai. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie Sell.
2: listening to News Playlist. We've queued up some of the most interesting reports for you, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International.
6: Welcome to News Playlist. I'm Paula Chow, the program host. President Tsai Ing-wen was re-elected on January 11th with a record 8.17 million votes and 57.1% of the popular vote. Tsai's Democratic Progressive Party said the president's landslide victory is mainly due to the threat China poses to Taiwan. At an official event last January, Chinese President Xi Jinping reiterated Beijing's One China policy and its opposition to Taiwan independence. In her National Day address on October 10th, President Tsai said Taiwan rejects China's One Country, Two Systems formula. President Tsai's National Day address this year was called A Nation of Resilience Forward into the World. She opened her remarks by talking about the threat posed by Beijing. The Republic of China has stood tall on Taiwan for over 70 years. But if we were to accept one country, two systems, there would no longer be room for the Republic of China's existence. As president, standing up to protect national sovereignty is not a provocation. It is my fundamental responsibility. In her speech, the president called for national solidarity. After walking this path together, we cannot be divided among ourselves, regardless of party affiliation. No one has a patent on the Republic of China, and no one can monopolize Taiwan. The words Republic of China Taiwan are not the exclusive property of any one political party, and that is the overwhelming consensus of Taiwan society. The president also vowed to ensure cross street peace. China is encroaching on us through their sharp power. But as a crucial member of the region, we know that Taiwan must fulfill its responsibilities to the international community. We will not act provocatively or rashly. Rather, we will work with like-minded countries to ensure that the peaceful and stable cross strait status quo is not unilaterally altered. The ruling DPP says Cai's chief rival in the election, the KMT's Han Guo Yu, was vague on issues related to national security. When Taiwan's three presidential candidates presented their platforms for the first time together on television last December, safeguarding Taiwan's sovereignty was front and center.
7: Long live the ROC! Long live the ROC! Long live the ROC! I hope you say it boldly. Otherwise, please shout out Taiwan independence.
6: That was KMT presidential candidate Han Guo Yu, and the response from his main rival, President Tsai Ing-wen. Earlier
7: this year, China proposed
3: the one-country-two-systems formula for Taiwan. While the whole country was upset about it, Mia Han visited China's liaison office in Hong Kong, giving the impression he supports the formula. KMT legislator-at-large candidates make the public uneasy, and that's why young people feel hopeless about the country's
7: future.
6: PFP chairman Jim Song promised to put the country on the right track.
7: When I take office, I will make things right. Independence and unification are both impossible in the next four years.
6: Song has positioned himself as a third option to the two main parties. He urged the two parties to remain calm so as not to put Taiwan's democracy to shame.
7: I feel very strongly today that I am proud to be Taiwanese and that Taiwan can have such a democratic and open event. Allowing people to express different views on TV.
2: This is News Playlist, a weekly rundown of some of the most interesting news reports brought to you by RTI. Watch along on YouTube if you like, or close your eyes and enjoy these stories by way of sound.
6: One of Taiwan's most popular YouTubers. Potter King had the rare opportunity to spell the pickup lines at present Tsai and not get dragged off by her security detail. However, last December, Potter King did land himself in hot water with another group of people, but not for reasons you might think.
7: This week on Hashtag Taiwan, dating. Now guys,
2: <laughs> like most
7: other things I tend to fail miserably at and I'm saying like crash and burn fail. Oh,
2: Leslie. I like
7: to leave it to people who know exactly what they're doing. Like this guy, his name is Potter and I got a video for
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> He's good, isn't he? He's very funny. pretty
7: good. I love that. His name is Potter King and he's a very popular YouTuber here in Taiwan. His videos focus on dating advice, and you got to admit, he's pretty good. He gets a rise out of President Tsai Ing-wen, who (laughs) I usually see as a very stoic and reserved kind of person. Now, leading up to the election, President Tsai has been making a lot of social media videos with popular Internet celebrities here in Taiwan. Potter King is one of these guys. Now, Potter King is also very, very popular in China, and as you might imagine, authorities there were not very happy about a famous Internet figure appearing in a video with the president of Taiwan. Mm. Now, usually on hashtag Taiwan, I like to give you the abridged version of any story, but we have a very special opportunity here because Potter King actually publicly released his conversation with an agency that represents him in China called PoppyTube. Now, I've translated the conversation for you and the text in white is PoppyTube and the text in green is Potter's company. Now, take a look. When one of the representatives from the agency saw the video, they said, Potter, Taiwan president, can you delete the video? Do you think this is okay because the video is not on Weibo, Weibo being the huge Chinese social media website. He says, are you endorsing Taiwanese independence? Get back to us once you see this. Now, Potter, being a very snarky person, said, if Xi Jinping wants to do a video with me, I'd do that too. (laughs) The agency gets back to him and says, Potter, the problem is with Taiwan president. They keep going and they say, you need to delete this immediately. This is very serious. This video, we're going to have to terminate our contract. Now, Potter's partner, Mars, actually chimes in and he says, go ahead, terminate the contract. And they say, "Mm, please delete it. It goes on to say, I will ask you one more time, will you delete it? Asking for confirmation whether or not they will delete the video in question. To which Mars says, not a chance. What right do you have to tell us to delete our video? Our head of state visits us and you want us to delete it? Does our contract forbid us from taking pictures with Taiwan's president? Are you really that afraid? Is it really that scary over there in China? Wow, okay. So let's review. The big problem here is with, more than anything, calling Tsai a Taiwan president. Now, Potter also says that our Weibo account with over one million followers has been seized. We operated it ourselves and now the password has been changed. We cannot log in. Now, the more interesting thing here is KMT presidential candidate Han Gory actually came out in support of Potter King. He actually said that Chinese companies should not penalize Taiwanese individuals in this way and that economic matters
2: and political matters should stay separated that 's interesting he 's more of a pro China candidate, mm-hmm. so it 's interesting to see that you know him protecting the the rights of, of Taiwanese netizens well, I yeah. think it
5: 's for his image because I think most of the people in Taiwan would side with Potter King to have yeah. the freedom of speech, right yeah. And I think it's also very smart of the president to visit a guy like that to get all this attention. Also, he he's in golf show You don't really so.
7: see her in yeah. that light, right? Like, yeah. You don't, and then no, this it's guy so just casual and along. fun,
5: and it's, it's really hilarious. It's I mean, a different it's, it's side like, of
7: the president yeah. than we usually see, right. for sure. And it's yeah. a
5: good campaign strategy, good publicity. Yeah.
7: I wanted to find something Christmas-related, but this is the news of the hour.
5: Well, thanks, Leslie. And that is hashtag Taiwan
6: for this week. And that's all we have for this week's edition of News Playlist. I hope you have enjoyed listening to our show today. For any comments or suggestions, you may write to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan, or you can email us at rti.org.tw. This is Paula Chow. See you next week. Bye-bye.
1: Because voting behavior uh, is the number one uh, reason uh, which uh, contributed to the victory of uh, DPP. And the second one is Xi Jinping's one country two system, uh, Hong Kong's extradition uh, uh, law, and the third uh, reason is that uh, DPP is a party of unity.
4: Hello and welcome to this week's Online brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Taiwan's president, Tsai Ing-wen, won the re-election as president of Taiwan in January 11th presidential election. She won a landslide victory garnering around 8.17 million votes. Her opponent of the KMT, Han Kuo Yi, won about 5.5 million votes. On the part of the legislative election held on the same day with the presidential election, the ruling DPP won 48 of the 73 directly elected seats and 13 at-large seats having gained 33.9% of the political party vote. Meanwhile, the major opposition, KMT, won 25 directly elected seats and 13 at-large seats, winning 333 of the party vote. President Chao of the DPP won 57 of the votes for the president, but for the voting of the political party, it only gained 33.9% of the political party vote, And the KMT won 33.3% of the party vote. What does the figure tell us? Joining us in the discussion today is Professor Edward Ishin Chen, a distinguished chair professor of political science department at Chinese Culture University in Taipei. Professor Chen, what contributed to the victory of the DPP this time, both presidential and legislative elections?
1: Uh, I think uh, the young people's uh, uh, voting behavior uh, is is the number one uh, reason that which uh, contributed to the victory of uh, DVP. This can be traced back to textbook guideline the, the revision uh, about uh, 15 or 20 years ago, and uh, this is uh, this helped uh, uh, DVP to change the mindset of the young people, young voters is number one reason, and the second uh, President Tsai has picked up uh, two guns from China. one is uh, the one is the Xi Jinping's uh, 102 system uh, and uh, the Taiwan's uh, case study and uh, the second gun uh, President Tsai picked up uh, is uh, the Hong Kong's uh, extradition law which uh, resulted in the uh, big demonstration in Hong Kong. And the third uh, reason is that the uh, DVP, at least, it uh, has an in impression to the rest of people in Taiwan that uh, DVP is a party of unity, you know, a united party. But whereas uh, the, the KMT is a divided party, uh, such an impression uh, has given uh, the voters uh, many very important factor which uh, uh, determines uh, their voting behavior.
4: And so that also explains the KMT. So what do you think contributed to the loss of the presidential and legislative elections on the part of the KMT? Uh,
1: yeah, I would say the first reason is a uh, lack of uh, links uh, with uh, young people. Uh, this is the number one reason for the K- KMT's failure. And the second is uh, KMT, uh, one-china policy which can hardly uh, be interpreted uh, very clearly to the young people and to the voters uh, uh, in general. And uh, the last uh, reason is that uh, uh, lack of uh, unity.
4: Many also say that the sense of a loss of a country and the dislike of the DPP, this have been perceived by the KMT voters. But the hmm. sense of a loss of a country, do you think that also helped the DPP win?
1: Uh, yes, I think because it, it must be. Uh, connected uh, with the uh, textbook uh, guideline uh, revision uh, uh, many years ago and uh, uh, this year uh, many many young people happens to be the first time voters uh, in in their life so i think uh, uh, the sense of the loss of the country uh, may contribute uh, to the uh, landslide victory for the dbp uh,
4: professor chen uh, we know that if you look at the kmt and the dpp there's always been factions within the two parties. But in the end, as you mentioned, Mm. the DPP will become united,
1: and the KMT will become divided. Why? Actually, uh, there's a long-term tradition that uh, the KMT has always uh, internal factions uh, within the party. They fight each other. But uh, for the DPP, they know their ultimate goal is uh, to uh, win the election and uh, become the ruling party. Uh, once they become the ruling party, uh, all the resources uh, of the government, of, of the country, will be at their hands. So they can argue or they can contend after the election. But prior to the election, uh, the DVP always uh, gives a very important impression to the rest of people that uh, it's a united uh, party. Yes. Uh, even this, this uh, united party is uh, only a apparent united party. Uh, people uh, might be uh, still satisfactory with uh, such a uh, united party.
4: Yes, if we take a look at uh, what happened to William Lai, for example, but still William Lai finally worked hand-in-hand with President Chai.
1: Yeah, William Lai uh, even uh, lost uh, his bid for presidential candidate for the DPP on behalf of the DPP. Uh, But uh, after his failure, he still decided to join the ticket of uh, President Tsai. And uh, such an apparent uh, unity has uh, given the people uh, or the general voters a very good impression that the DVP is a a united uh, party.
4: Yes, unlike the KMT, we had uh, some candidates, for example, Terry Kuo, Mm. who decided to leave the KMT later on, and also former... Legislative President Wang Jinping, and he decided not to support Han Guo Yu as well.
1: Yes, I think uh, uh, they didn't uh, believe that uh, once uh, the KMT can win the election and uh, become the ruling party, they even before join the primary of the presidential candidates, they are divided in, in many respects, and uh, even uh, Han Guo Yu become the presidential candidate of the KMT. Other adversaries were still arguing each other. That gives the people a very bad impression that the KMT is a divided party.
4: What about the nomination of uh, uh, KMT's uh, legislators at large? Because when people in Taiwan saw the list of the legislators at large, they were disappointed. Is that a reason as well?
1: Uh, actually, the overwhelming majority of people and ordinary people on the street do not know to, uh, very much uh, about uh, the nomination of the legislator at large. But as I said, that, that this is also related to the, to the unity of the party. For DBP, uh, even their list of uh, legislator at large is no better than that of the KMT. Nonetheless, uh, President Tsai can solve the problem by a phone call. But uh, for the KMT, uh, many, many people in the party can contend and argue with each other for more than one month.
4: You're listening to Online brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong, and today I'm speaking with Professor Edward Yishin Chen, a distinguished chair professor of political science department at Chinese Cultural University. If you look at the DPP and the KMT, the political stance on Hong Kong's extradition mm. law and the one country and two systems formula, they have different opinions. And many Taiwanese, I think, tended to lean towards the policy actually proposed by the DPP.
1: I think uh, Hong Kong's problem uh, did contribute uh, to the landslide victory of the board the DPP because uh, President Tsai uh, was the first uh, who argued that uh, one China, two system is uh, not good uh, for Taiwan. And uh, uh, second, when Hong Kong had a large scale demonstration on the street, President Tsai uh, also picked up uh, such a phenomenon as uh, one of her weapons to, uh, against the, the KMT.
4: 1992 consensus as proposed by the KMT candidate Han Guo Yu, So many younger people have never heard of the 92 consensus. Do you think the KMT should revise this policy? Uh,
1: because the 92 consensus, uh, when uh, it was uh, first proposed, uh, Uh, by the KMT and the Chinese Communist Party in China. It was 28 years ago. So I don't think that many young people uh, understand uh, the content of the 92 consensus very well. And uh, this is uh, one of the reasons uh, for the KMT's failure in this election, because uh, the KMT can hardly explain or accountable of the 92 consensus uh, in very simple uh, words, whereas uh, the DVP, can always explain party line or party position uh, in a very clear way to account for their uh, anti-China policy and uh, long-term independent policy. So I think uh, uh, this is something uh, the committee will try its best to resolve uh, after the election. Mm-hmm.
4: Many say President Chai Ing-wen's stance on cross trade issues is quite clear number one, to safeguard Taiwan. And she also repeatedly said that Taiwan has been an independent country under the official name of the Republic of China, Taiwan. So in a way, for the first time, the DPP admitted the Republic of China. And that attracted many undecided Mm -hmm. voters of the Pan Blue and Pan Green supporters. Do you think so, uh, Professor Uh, Chen?
1: Actually, many people uh, do not understand the gap between safeguarding sovereignty and uh, our uh, foreign policy, because uh, if we lose uh, our uh, diplomatic allies uh, uh, one by one, how could we uh, maintain or safeguard our sovereignty? This is something uh, young people cannot understand. Another thing is that uh, young people may be very much excited when they hear that uh, President Tsai will safeguard our uh, sovereignty and uh, take uh, uh, anti-China policy. Uh, but uh, actually, they don't know uh, how much the price uh, will be paid if uh, we we are opposing the one-China policy. Because uh, uh, once uh, we agree that there is uh, only one China in the world, China will not uh, uh, use its force against us. They only believe that Taiwan uh, is uh, is brave enough to uh, to oppose China. But uh, they don't know how how high the price will be paid. Yeah.
4: In a recent interview with BBC President Tsai Ing-wen said she's willing to talk to China, but China said they're willing to talk if the DPP recognizes the existence of 92 consensus and one China policy. Professor Chen, what do you think will happen to the cross-strait relations in the future?
1: Uh, I would say uh, what uh, Tsai Ing-wen said uh, and uh, what China said, uh, there exists a big gap between them. So I don't think that uh, there's uh, any good indication that uh, the, culture, the the prospect of co trade uh, relations will be uh, improved uh, significantly. And uh, I actually, I don't expect that, that uh, President Tsai ing will express uh, her goodwill in her uh, May 20th uh, inaugural speech. On the other hand, uh, China thinks uh, actually 2019 has adopted a uh, hardline policy toward Taiwan, so I don't think that uh, uh, there will be uh, improvement of cross-strait relations, much less the uh, Tai uh, summit or Tai meeting in mm-hmm. the in the uh, near future.
4: President China one of the DPP won fifty-seven percent of the votes for the mm-hmm. president, uh, but for the voting of the party, it only gained. 33.9% of the political party vote, and the KMT won 33.3% of the party vote. Now what does this number tell us? Mm,
1: the gap uh, between the presidential votes and the uh, uh, legislator and uh, large vote or party votes uh, indicates that uh, many people of uh, Taiwan uh, do not believe that uh, Taiwan's economy can be uh, significantly improved uh, in the next four years. Uh, that's why uh, they cast uh, their votes uh, uh, for President Tsai, uh, because uh, uh, they believe that he could uh, safeguard our sovereignty, uh, whereas uh, they cast their uh, party votes uh, to show uh, their uh, suspicion that uh, Taiwan could manage close uh, uh, trade relations well, 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 or uh, uh, lead the country to improve the or say upgrade our economy
4: Mm-hmm. and uh, we have been joined on the phone today by Professor Edward I Chan, a distinguished chair professor of political science department at Chinese Culture University in Taipei and that's it for this week's online brought to you by radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong thank you for listening. I'll see you next goodbye.